Our scripture lesson is in the heart of Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. You'll be familiar with parts of chapter 14 when Jesus describes the many dwelling places that will be prepared for us. And by the time we get to verse 23, he's trying to teach the disciples that he will not be leaving them alone, even though it appears he's leaving them in life. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. Not long ago, I had the privilege of officiating at a funeral service of a mother who left three children at home under the age of 15. Death is hard enough for grown-ups to deal with, but how do you help children understand a sense of God, God's love and God's presence in moments like that? There were a number of children at the service, and so I felt it would be a, an important teachable moment, one in which honesty is needed. I said, there's nothing fair about losing your mother. To comfort ourselves, sometimes grown-ups will say things like, there's a reason for everything. Only the good die young. God wanted her to be with him. Or she'd done everything that she was called to do on this earth, and so it was her time to go. I said, no. The simple truth is that when we are too sick to live, we die. It's the terrible, natural, predictable result 
of devastating disease, especially of the one called cancer. It is never fair. I tried to explain it to the children by saying, do you know what happens to your cell phone if you drop it in the bathtub? It is not going to work again. And yet the cloud holds your memory and it may even hold your photos. And you'll get to keep some of that, but the cell phone, well, it's just got to go. The difference with people of faith is that because God loves us so much, God never throws us away, discards us. We are never forgotten, always loved, and taken home to be where God is, where life and health are restored. It is so complicated for us. We need help of the Holy Spirit to even imagine it. When we believe in God, the pain may still be very real. But our belief is that the hope is too. We're promised that our lives are made whole. And somewhere along the line, we pray the Holy Spirit helps us connect the dots and teach us that the words of our Christ are true. Chapter 14 is intended to help us connect those dots and to make it clear for us that the Holy Spirit has come to be our teacher. Jesus is getting ready to depart from his disciples and this life, and he shares in verse 25 that when he's gone, as tough as that's going to be for them, things are going to be clear again. And things that remain hidden now will be revealed. Because the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, will come again to help them move forward and to begin to help them integrate the learnings that they had from Jesus and his life with them into their role as Jesus' disciples and representatives on this earth. The concept for them of the Trinity is just unfolding. We've lived with hearing it all of our lives, but can you imagine for a moment how complicated that shift in relationship must have felt to them? What do you mean, God the Father, Jesus the Son? They have this profoundly inseparable relationship and there's another dimension to it that will not be separated from God nor from us. Jesus has had an inseparable desire for a relationship with his followers because the relationship with the disciples is about to take on this new dimension and he gives his pastoral best 
to assure them that they will always somehow be together and that their mission is to continue to make God real in this life. His love will never abandon or orphan them and their relationship cannot be sealed in any grave. Jesus won't leave them that way and certainly won't leave us feeling alone either. The promise of that Holy Spirit and that relationship with the Advocate is to teach us to see and to live within the relationship that we continue to have with God. It is a huge, hairy concept for the disciples to begin to grasp, and do we even fully understand it today, that we're to love Jesus as if he is in our hearts and lives with the power of the Holy Spirit, then to live out this world. Even the best struggle to live into that concept and claim on their lives. Don't know if you saw it in the news this week, but there was a student from Columbine 20 years ago who had become a speaker, 37 years old. He was one of the kids that was, one of the 21 that was harmed, shot in the hand and in his knee. He lost his best friend beside him and his favorite teacher. Of the 12 that died, Eubanks was one of the survivors that watched it and participated in the struggle to recover. He often spoke publicly about how this struggle to heal both physically and emotionally had created an addiction to drugs to ease the pain of his heart and his body. This weekend, on Saturday, there was a wellness check on him, and those who checked found that he had lost his battle with the very disease that he was trying to help others face. He was helping to build a community of support and relationship. That's what meant the most to him. And the folks who were following continued to plan to carry out his work, and yet how hard. This is no simple indwelling of a teacher and a rosy move forward. We need an advocate, a teacher, a Holy Spirit. When John says, my father and I will come to them and build a house in their midst, I want you to understand this morning, he is not speaking literally of the home as we've begun to understand it or think about it. Although that's part of the package. What Jesus is speaking about here is the indwelling of the Father and the Son in the disciples. In other words, the Holy Spirit is coming to take up shop within their home, their lives, their body. 
For John, eternal life is what starts right here and now in our relationship. It's in Christ and God. Even while Jesus prepares eternal dwelling places, he and the Father promise to continue dwelling with us in the present. It's through the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the paraclete, which means the one who called to walk alongside us, that Jesus will continue to be present with his disciples and teach them everything they need to know. Because Jesus will be present with them through the Holy Spirit, his disciples need not be anxious. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now again, Jesus extorts, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. What we have never completely understood, I don't think, is how much Jesus adores each of us and sees us in the light of that love. If you just take a brief look at scriptures, we would see that when we read about Zacchaeus, he's nothing but a conniving tax collector, and yet Jesus would look at him and see a man who's hungry for faith. When we read about Peter, we see that he denies our Jesus, that he's bumbling in his faith, arrogant at times and short-sighted, flimsy at times. And yet Jesus looks at him and sees the foundation of his church. There's a woman at the well at the middle of the day when she shouldn't be there. Obviously, she's been caught in adultery. And Jesus doesn't see that. What does he see? A woman whose life can be reclaimed by grace and one who can spread the gospel. It begs the question of us this morning, what does Jesus see when he looks at me? What does Jesus see when he looks at you? We're always surprised and need a teacher to say, that you are seen as treasure and magic and brother and sister and completely capable in your place and time to embody the gospel. What we must understand is Jesus' intent to be present with us in every time, in every age, so that we begin to see this relationship we have with him and each other. His desire is for us to know the connection of the Spirit. Now, I just want us to take a, a deep breath for a second and realize that that connection is nothing less than challenging. Do you realize that in this particular scripture, Jesus does not say, keep God's commandments. Rather, he says to those who are with him, keep my commandments. And you might well 
rightly ask, are they not the same? Well, not exactly. We might think, well, aren't Jesus' commandments maybe then a little easier? Love God, love each other, serve the world, kind of the nice, neat package. But a quick review of the portion of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus makes immensely clear that obeying his rules are harder. He says, the commandments say you shall not kill, but Jesus says not only should you not kill, but if you look at somebody with hateful eyes and angry words, you've done it already. Look at someone's spouse with a little cross-eyed interest and not, not only have you violated that person's integrity, but you've committed adultery in your heart. Jewish law suggests that when someone asks for your coat, you give it. Jesus says, nah, you give your coat and your shirt too. Time and again, Jesus didn't make it easier to live a life of keeping God's word. He made it harder. And for the record, there's really no distinction at all between the essential commandments of God in the Hebrew Bible or the teachings of Jesus. Throughout the scripture, the calling is to love God with everything that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And is that not infinitely harder than a checklist of do's and don'ts that we could mark off the list? I don't think any of us will ever be able to mark off that we loved our neighbor as ourselves in all circumstances. And when it comes to loving God with our whole being, that would take a little examination. Stories told of Fred Craddock when he was a young man, he was making boxes while he was in school. These were wood boxes, and so he and his buddies always had uh, nail aprons on. Those of you who have done a bit of construction remember those. Anyway, Craddock and his two buddies are going downtown on an afternoon to get some lunch. They wanted a burger, and they're about to pass a man on the street that always sits there with a sign that says, I'm blind, would you please help me? Well, they're young and they're ornery. And they decided to take as a joke a few of the nails out of their nail bags and drop them into his tin cup as if they had given a donation and watch him thank they giggled on their way past. Well, Craddock had enough upbringing to know to be ashamed of himself, and so he went to his pastor and confessed what he had done, and his pastor looked at him and said, oh, just go on and get over it. There's so much more in this life to be worried about right now. It was the uh, last year before the end of World War II. He said, there's so much bigger than this. Well, it didn't get rid of his guilt. So he went to his youth group pastor in the church that he had kind of grown up under, and he told her, and she said, you should be ashamed of yourself. 
Now, when you get back downtown this week, you go by that man, tell him what you do, what you did, ask his forgiveness, and if you have any money, you put it in his cup, which he did. And of course, the man forgave him. And he said, oh, boys will be boys. They're up to mischief. It takes more, does it not, to rebuild relationships and to keep them moving and looking like the spirit is within us. But thanks be to God, there's many a time when we'll get to practice. Jesus said that one of the ways we demonstrate new life and the resurrection is the way we put his teachings into practice. When our love for God and Jesus Christ truly define who we are, then our lives become a public display of what it means to keep God's word. I am so grateful we are not do-it-yourself projects. Jesus promised the disciples, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said. Jesus knew the Spirit's help would be required for us to live life, keeping God's ways, which means a life of fulfilling our promise to follow Christ. When we keep our word in that way, then we truly demonstrate a new and different way of living in the world around us. Now, this doesn't mean that our relationship, God, is, is something that we have to earn under our own steam, that we're practicing a relationship that just means we never measure up. This is meant to teach us that our relationship with Jesus, with Christ, with, with God through the Holy Spirit is a mutual love of each other that wants the best for the other. Not some set of external rules or codes of conduct, but it is love that doesn't let us go. Jesus said that if we love him, we'll follow his teachings will follow his way of life. Simply because we love, then he will compels us to do so. Then that's how we practice the integrity where our private lives match our public ones. I can't imagine you didn't see in the news this week the Morehouse commencement speaker, billionaire Robert F. Smith, received an honorary degree from Morehouse College last Sunday morning. He had already given to the college a $1.5 million gift, okay? But during his remarks to the 400 students that day, he surprised everyone in the audience, including his staff, that they would be providing a grant to eliminate the debt of the class of 2019. Do you know how much that totaled? $40 million. He said, this is my class. 
and I know my class will pay it forward. The announcement hit Tanya Relliford, whose, daughter, whose son Charles is a member of the class. He estimates that his debt is around $70,000 from college. Elijah Dormius of Harlem is 22. He estimates his debt at $90,000. Most of us didn't pay that for a mortgage when we were his age. His five siblings all came to Atlanta to see him graduate along with his mother, Andrea. She drives a school bus for a living. Of that debt, she said, you know, I wasn't too worried because my faith in God is really strong. Her point being that if God comes through, try not to look surprised. You and I can argue all day long about Scripture, who's right and who's wrong, but this lesson begs us to understand that if the gospel is not lived and visible in our lives, then these scriptures are worth less than the paper they are written on because he lives. He must live within us or he won't be known. We have a great opportunity this morning to accept the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives and to live as those for whom life is a learning and living experience of the grace and the magic and the power of Christ in our lives. It's a ride. If you haven't hopped on, accept the invitation.